Heavenly Father, uh, we're so grateful and we're so humbled that we live in a place where we can gather together freely uh, week in and week out and we can dig into your word and uh, see what you have to say to us. And so uh, we praise you for the way that you've chosen to reveal yourself uh, through the scriptures. And we just ask that uh, you would open our hearts and minds to the truth found in them this morning. And Father, would you just send your spirit to speak to our hearts. Uh, It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in the book and movie series, The Born Identity, uh, Jason Bourne struggles with a memory that has been wiped. If you've ever uh, read the books or seen the movies, you know that some pretty crazy, thing, cr- some pretty crazy things happen uh, as Jason rediscovers who he is. Things like quickly memorizing license plates as he's eating at a diner. Things like uh, some extreme stunts and some extreme physical abilities in this Uh, crazy ability to drive and uh, to evade his pursuers time and time again. Well, in one particularly important uh, scene in the movies early on, Jason Bourne uh, goes to a bank and he opens up a lockbox that he apparently had at this bank and it's full of passports uh, with all kinds of different identities on them. You can imagine, uh, as someone who uh, had no memory of who he was, how confusing it might be Uh, to look at these passports as he pages through and sees his face on passport after passport with different nationalities, different birthdays, different social security numbers. All of this different information about who he was was certainly uh, very confusing to him. Well, sometimes in our Christian walk, uh, we deal with an identity crisis not unlike Jason Bourne's. Sure, uh, there aren't several government agencies pursuing us hunting us down and trying to catch us, but the enemy pursuing and confusing us uh, is much more lethal than any government organization. And so uh, this morning, we're going to be picking up our, in our series called Free in the book of Galatians, and due to some extraordinary circumstances, uh, we'll be covering, uh, starting with Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, all the way through the end of chapter 4, which ends in verse 31. So, how are we going to adequately, adequately cover 60 verses this morning? Well, easy. Uh, joke's on you. We're going to be here for about two hours. So, uh, just kidding. Uh, we're going we're gonna to do sort of a 30,000-foot flyover view and see what's going on uh, in these two chapters and kind of see a summary of Paul's line of thought uh, that's really been carried throughout the whole book. So, mixing it up like this might seem daunting, right? 60 verses in one morning. But it can actually be quite helpful, I think, for a couple of reasons. First, it forces you, uh, the listener, to dig deeper into the text uh, if you want to get more out of it. Obviously, there's no way that I can adequately preach through and cover every detail in 60 verses. But as you open this up uh, day after day and week after week, you can. You can open up to Galatians chapter 3 and 4 this week and dig in. And you can look and see what God has to say in each verse and in each thought. Uh, Second, I think it helps us not lose the forest for the trees. Don't get me wrong, uh, I love preaching through books verse by verse, chapter by by chapter, week after week. I really think that it's one of the most helpful ways that we can mine the depths of what God has to say to us. But any preacher will tell you uh, that one of the trade-offs of diving in like we do here at Crossview is that you can miss some of the overarching themes uh, in the book, or you might miss the big picture because we're spending more time in individual sections. And so today, we get to do the opposite. Now, we'll get, we'll get to see the forest, and we'll likely miss out on the details of a few trees. And so, uh, your job as good Bible forestry workers is to go back into the woods 
this week uh, and to look at those individual trees and see what, might, what God might have to say through them to you. And so as we work through uh, this morning, I'd encourage you to keep in mind uh, one key question. Uh, what do I do when I forget who I am in Christ? The title of our series in Galatians uh, has aptly been called Free. Uh, in our chapters this morning, Paul is going to recap sort of two themes uh, before concluding with a bit of a case study on the identity of a Christian. And so if you're not already there, would you open up uh, to Galatians chapter 3? It's on page 1032 uh, in the Worship Center Bible. Otherwise, uh, I'll be in the Christian Standard Bible if you're using a digital version or you can use whatever translation you would like. If you're a note taker and you're filling in the blanks this morning, uh, the first thing that I'm going to suggest that we do when we begin to forget who we are in Christ is to remember the purpose of the law. When Pastor Dan preached uh, in Galatians chapter 3, which admittedly has been about a month, uh, we uh, saw that God made a promise to Abraham, a promise that included a relationship with God, a promise that included giving him and his descendants some land, and a promise that included a whole lot of children, children that would outnumber the stars. In that group of children would be one called the Messiah. Abraham, uh, though he and his wife were both old and they'd never met God before, believed God's promise to them, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So God promised, Abraham believed, and it was counted as righteousness. So the promise for salvation that God made had nothing to do with Abraham at all. In fact, uh, based on where he lived, Abraham was probably a worshiper of a moon god. Abraham didn't do anything at all to earn his salvation. He couldn't have. He didn't even know who this God was. He didn't do anything, just like we don't, and yet God chose to grant his promise to him and through him. Paul tells us this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. He says, Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. Abraham lived by faith and was granted salvation by faith in God's promise. As Christ followers, we live by faith and are granted salvation by faith in what Christ accomplished. Abraham looked forward to God's promise as yet to be fulfilled, and we look back on God's promise as having been fulfilled in Christ. In both cases, as Paul has said repeatedly in Galatians, we are justified by faith. So God made a promise to Abraham, and faith is the means by which we have this relationship and this right standing with God. Fast forward 430 years, and the law is given to Moses. So the question that naturally, naturally arises as God gives the law is, if we're saved by faith and not by the law, then why did God give the law in the first place? Why did God give this 613 some odd rules and regulations to his people? Well, throughout history, uh, there have been a lot of reasons submitted that God may have given the law. Some, uh, like the Pharisees, took the law and used it to measure their holiness and in doing so became very legalistic. Some disregard the law and say that we actually no longer need it because Jesus came and so the law is finished. Some make distinctions for sort of different portions of the law that we should or we shouldn't follow. And so as Christians, what are we to do with the law today? Well, Paul gives us a clear answer to that question in Galatians 3, 19 and 21. Let's look there. He says, why then was the law given? 
It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. And then down to verse 21, is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. In other words, does the law undo what God did by making salvation something that we can earn on the basis of keeping the law? Paul says absolutely not. The purpose of the law is and always has been to show us our need of salvation by grace alone through Jesus alone. I think sometimes we struggle with this because we have this romantic idea of Old Testament heroes in our minds. We're not quite sure how salvation worked in the Old Testament, and so we think, well, these great heroes of the faith who obviously were saved, right? Abraham was declared righteous. Well, they must have kept the law pretty well, so I guess I need to do that too. What a burden that thought is in our lives. If salvation is based on the works of the law, we're all in trouble. But the good news is, it's not. Throughout the Old Testament, from Abraham to the prophets, the law has always been about showing humanity's desperate need. Pastor and author Tim Keller says it like this. He says, The Old Testament demands that people love the Lord your God with all your heart, and that we must be people who have my law in your hearts. He says, The law, if we're really listening to it, continually emphasizes that we need a righteousness, a power, a love for God that is beyond ourselves and beyond the law. We need salvation by grace. There's sort of some good news and bad news about the law, right? The bad news is that the law and all its demands are an unattainable standard. God gave them to us and gave us the list of things that we would need to do, and it's unattainable. We can't do it. That's bad news. Paul says that we're actually cursed by the law. We're cursed to know this standard and to not be able to achieve it. The good news is we don't have to achieve it. Back in verse 13, Paul says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. Jesus took the standard, he met the standard, and he hung on a tree and paid the price for all of us who could never meet the standard on our own. And so, what's the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is to point us to our need for Jesus. It's to point us to our need for Jesus. Paul keeps hammering this message over and over again, right? He says, you guys, it's grace, It's Jesus. Stop believing the lie that the law can save you. Stop believing that you can muster up something in yourself to meet the demands, the holy demands of a holy God. You can't. So just stop. It's only by Jesus. It's only by faith. This is going to be sort of the last sermon in this vein of the book of Galatians. Next week in chapter 5, uh, it transitions pretty strongly into this idea of a practical outworking of this freedom that we find in Christ. And so I want to take this last opportunity here to ask you one more time, where are you missing the purpose of the law? Where are you missing the purpose of the law? See, throughout human history, we've struggled with this problem, this problem of drifting towards the idea that we have to do something to earn our salvation. This, this drift towards the idea that we even can do something 
to earn our salvation because maybe we do some good things in the eyes of our friends and our neighbors, right? We, we read our Bibles, check. Uh, we help the old lady down the street with her yard work, check. Maybe we're really even patient with uh, our coworker who annoys the snot out of us week after week. We're, we're patient, right? Check. We're, we're so Christ-like. Actually, I think maybe God owes us salvation. Have you ever been there, wrestling, struggling with that thought? I think if we're honest, we all drift in this direction. It's been happening since God made that promise all the way back with Abraham. And so the first point of application that I'd like uh, to encourage you with is to write down this question, where have I drifted? Think through where in your life have you drifted towards the idea of works righteousness, towards the idea that you have to keep the law to earn your salvation, and think through how you might surrender that to Jesus going forward. So what do we have to do when we forget who we are in Christ? Number one, remember the purpose of the law. What is the purpose of the law? To show us our need for Jesus. The second thing to remember this morning flows out of this idea of Jesus hanging on the tree. When we put our faith in him, no longer are we cursed under the law. Rather, we are heirs according to the promise. The end of chapter uh, 3, starting with verse 26 and then looking at verse uh, 4. Let's, let's look there right now. For through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. And let's jump down to verse 4. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Paul goes on to tell us that because of God's promise to us, uh, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ become God's sons and daughters. Can it really be that simple, though? Can anyone who puts their faith in Jesus really become God's son or his daughter? I think in Jesus' day, as, as it is sadly still in our day, there existed and exists all kinds of different stereotypes and forms of discrimination based on race, gender, societal status, your job, etc., so when, people, or so, so when Paul says uh, that through faith you are all sons of Christ Jesus, people probably would have scratched their heads. Did he really say all? Did he really say that anyone could be a son of God or a daughter of God in Christ Jesus? Well, maybe, but he, he couldn't have meant all, right? Well, before we jump to judge the Galatians, uh, let's take a hard look at our own hearts. Paul says that anyone who is baptized into Christ is clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female. They are all one with Christ. I fear that all too often we create categories in our own minds, hoops that people have to jump through before this promise can be true of them. There is no rich or poor. There is no well-read or illiterate. 
There is no homeless or wealthy. There is no came from a stable home or my family of origin is a mess. There is no never got a speeding ticket or spent 15 years in prison. There is no insert your stereotype here. There are only two categories. Those who have repented of their sin and placed their trust in Jesus Christ and those who have not. Socioeconomic status does not matter. Race and nationality does not matter. Male or female does not matter. Criminal background doesn't matter. None of these things preclude someone from being a son or a daughter of our Father in heaven. But sometimes we live like they do, don't we? We write people off based on their current or past situations. Why bother sharing the gospel with them? I know what they were like. I knew them when they were young. They're not really a Christian, right? They're, they're just here for show. Well, that, that group of people, they worship differently than I do, so can, can they really be Christians? Could they really be praising the same Jesus? I'm, I, don't, I don't think they can be because we differ on this minor issue. Guys, Paul says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And when they are, they become your brother or your sister and they are a co-heir in eternity with you. Not because they have a clean past or because they've followed the law well or because they come from a family situation that you can understand, but because they trusted in Jesus just like you. When someone becomes an adopted child of God and a co-heir with Christ, uh, three enormous things happen. First, like we just talked about, they're welcomed into the family. And so church, I want to challenge you to love your brothers and sisters well. We have an opportunity as the family of God to love people who will otherwise go unloved. We have a chance to welcome people into a family that they've never had but always longed for. We have an opportunity to love the people of our community who come to Christ regardless of what their background is. So, church, I want to challenge you. Welcome those into the family who are different from you. Jesus did. Second, when we become a child of God by confessing Jesus, there's a legal status change. No longer are we legally guilty. No longer when we sit before the judge are we guilty, are we declared unrighteous. Instead, uh, we're, we're not sitting under the curse anymore, but uh, at, when we become children of God, as Paul says, we become heirs according to the promise, legally declared righteous and free from our sin and all the eternal consequences that come with it. We're legally changed. Third and finally, there's a relational change. No longer is God someone who is out there, right? But he's someone who's in here. Jesus told uh, the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, and it illustrates this point of a father's love. Maybe you're familiar with the story, uh, maybe not, but it goes like this. There's a man who had two sons, right? An older son and a younger son. And the younger son comes to the father and says, hey, dad, look, I want my inheritance early. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave the family and go spend it. And so uh, the father says, all right, here you go. And he gives him his inheritance. And the son, not too long later, takes it and finds himself before long having wasted his inheritance on foolish living. So he's totally broke living in a foreign country and he finds himself working uh, for a pig farmer, a dishonorable job. And he's out with the pigs day after day hoping to get some scraps to eat from the pigs. He has nothing and it kind of pops in his head, wait a second, 
I know that the people that my dad hired are actually eating and living better than I am. Surely, if I go home, he'll hire me as one of his servants and I can work there. And so he picks up uh, what little he has and he starts the long walk home. And as, as he's going, you can imagine that he had all sorts of thoughts about who his dad really was. Well, sure, he was kind to me when I kept his rules, but now that I've blown it, surely I'll be punished. Definitely he's going to be harsh with me, right? Well, if you're familiar with the story, you know that when the son returns home, he's greeted with open arms. His father pulls up his uh, clothes and runs and greets his son, throws his arm around him, throws his arms around him, and throws a feast celebrating his return. He's greeted at home with open arms by a daddy who loves his boy. That love is a picture of the father we have in heaven. The word Abba here is found uh, here in chapter 4, verse 6, and only two other times in the whole Bible. Right? It's pretty popular. We know this word Abba, but it actually only shows up three times in Scripture. One other time in Romans when it's talking about us as uh, God's adopted children, and one other time by Jesus, God's Son. Jesus is calling out to his Father in a moment of intense need before he goes to the cross. Abba, Father, he says, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Daddy, he says, is there another way? That's what we get when we place our trust in Jesus. We get a Father who loves us, who cares for us, who is near to us, and who listens when we cry out in our time of need. We're welcomed into a family. Legally, we're declared righteous. Relationally, we're declared children, full heirs in the promise of salvation and eternal life with Jesus. Friends, when we put our faith in Jesus, we are welcomed as children of promise. And so, what do we do when we forget who we are in Christ? First, we remember that the purpose of the the law is not to free us of our sin, but to expose our need for Jesus. Second, we trust that we are children of promise, welcomed into the family by the blood of Jesus. And finally, we look to our past to see a reminder of identity. When Jason Bourne had forgotten who he was, he began chasing these bits and pieces of his memory until the whole thing came back, right? A piece here and a piece there until he figured out who he was. And as we come towards the end of this message this morning, uh, Paul has a piece of history for us about the father of our faith, Abraham, to help remind us of who we are. Let's look at chapter 4, verses 21 and following. It says this, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through promise. These things are being taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. If you're not familiar with the story of Abraham and Isaac and Ishmael, here is the abridged version. Late in his life, uh, when Abraham and Sarah were very old, God came to Abraham and told him that he would have a child by his wife, Sarah. Sarah overhears this conversation her husband is having with God, and she laughs. And it's not the kind of laugh like, I'm so excited, I'm finally going to get to have a child that I've wanted for so long. It's one of those laughs like, ha, are you kidding me? Do you know how old I am? There's no way this is going to happen. 
Well, a few months go by, and there's still, as expected, uh, no baby. And so Abraham and Sarah think there must have been a mistake, right? God must have meant for us to use a surrogate, a younger woman in her childbearing years who could have this child that's been promised to us. Rather than trust, they take matters into their own hands, and Abraham conceives a child with another woman, Hagar, and Ishmael is born. In the meantime, as he always does, God comes through in his promise to Abraham and Sarah, and Sarah becomes pregnant with their promised child, Isaac. Isaac, Abraham and Sarah's son, is the son through whom God promised he would bring the Messiah, Jesus. Ishmael is not. Paul is reminding us, I think, that Abraham had two sons in order to challenge us to consider which one we are. Children of Hagar, children like Ishmael, he says, are those who submit to the law for salvation and become slaves to it. Children of Sarah, however, are like Isaac, who are children of promise, having placed their trust in God for salvation rather than trying to earn it by their own actions. Early in their lives, in the lives of Isaac and Ishmael, there came sort of this uh, big pivotal moment. At a birthday party for Isaac, his older brother Ishmael starts to make fun of him and to laugh at him. Sarah, Isaac's mom, is livid as she sits there in her own house with this boy who is not her son, mocking and laughing at Isaac, her son. And so she forces Abraham to kick Hagar and Ishmael out of the house so Ishmael will not share in the inheritance with Isaac. Well, Paul uses Sarah's words to Abraham this morning, and uh, they speak right to us. If you turn to chapter 4, verse 30, Sarah said, and Paul now says to us, drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Those of us who rely on the law for our salvation will never be co-heirs with Jesus. We'll never earn the status of sons and daughters. It's not something we can do by checking off, checking off enough boxes on the list. It's not something we can do by doing enough things. We can never attain it. Those of us who rely on the promise God made about Jesus and all that he accomplished on our behalf for salvation, we will enter God's kingdom and celebrate with him for eternity. Friends, you and I are children of Abraham in God's family. We're adopted as sons and daughters as we place our trust in Jesus. And so the question is, which child will we live like? Will we live like a child of slavery, as one who seeks and strives and works and does everything they can to earn their salvation, but will always fall short? Will we hold ourselves and others to an impossible standard in the name of trying to earn our salvation and to earn our way to heaven? Or will we live like children of promise, our sins having been exposed by the law and knowing that we are free, we are fully free in Jesus? This morning, uh, we talked about what Paul encourages us to do as we forget who we are in Christ. First, we need to remember the purpose of of the law. As we drift towards works righteousness and this impulse to try and save ourselves, we need to remember that the purpose of the law is God's grace to show us how tragically short we will always fall. It's not meant to be a 
a list of checkboxes. We'll never check enough boxes on the list. So don't try to earn your salvation. You can't. Paul has hit this point over and over and over again. Don't miss it. Second, we need to remember that we are children of promise. When we place our trust in Jesus, we are welcomed into God's family. We're legally declared righteous and we're relationally connected to a father who loves us beyond our wildest imagination. And finally, Paul gave us a reminder of our identity rooted in our history. Abraham had two sons, one who was born out of slavery and represents those who are slave to the law, and one who was born out of promise and represents those who trust in Jesus for salvation. Only those who are found in Jesus will stand at the last day. And so, brothers and sisters, let's go forward today confident in the salvation that Jesus paid for on that tree, never forgetting who we are in him, children of promise. Let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, we praise you because you're so good to us. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for your word and for the truth found in it. We praise you for the good news of Jesus who hung on the tree to pay for our salvation. Father, we even thank you for giving us the law so that you would be able to expose our sin to us and show us day after day how desperately we need you. We thank you so much for providing Jesus and giving us a way to meet those demands that we could never meet. And so would you just help us to trust deeper and deeper in him? Help us to walk in the truth that we're free because of what he accomplished. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.